Good morning, business owners and entrepreneurs. I'm Stephen Krause, and this is Up and to the Right. So this morning, we've done a couple of talks about uh, principles of business. And so this morning, I want to talk about adding value. Um, the competitive landscape is becoming increasingly complicated in our world. Small business owners often find themselves competing with the so-called big box stores, um, and online retailers that can run much more uh, advertising. They can, can negotiate lower costs for their goods. Uh, they can uh, uh, they can uh, they have more stores of cash so that they can weather uh, difficult economic times. It's more important than ever that we really understand not only uh, what value we currently add to our for our customers, but look for and integrate new ways to add value to stay competitive. So it's time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. I'm Stephen Krause, and this is Up and to the Right, the no-nonsense live stream where we blend your passion with proven business principles and practical action. We try to avoid buzzwords and short-term uh, and buzzwords and uh, uh, key phrases and we uh, try to avoid the short-term trends that are, are maybe chic, but not, uh, haven't stood the test of time. So we take these business principles and practical solutions and we integrate them in ways that help you make your business better in an actionable, practical way uh, that helps you stay authentic to who you are, but also helps uh, improve your entrepreneurial journey. All right, so that's our... That's our topic for today is adding value. This is episode 45. And uh, before I go further into it, I want to talk briefly. Uh, I want to remind everybody when I went back and I think it was episode 41 or something like that. It's a, a little, a few episodes ago, I defined a principle of business um, as something that is foundational, fundamental, something that you have to have, um, and build on in order to have a successful business. And also it has to apply to every business model that I could think of at the time. And that set a pretty high bar for a concept to be a principle of business versus simply being a good tactic or a business strategy. Um, and so those two core components are important. It has to be fundamental and it has to be universal. So, uh, what is value added? Well, according to Merriam-Webster, and I will cite that in the show notes as well, but it's a product whose value has been increased, especially by special manufacturing, marketing, or processing. And before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about the use of the word marketing here. I take exception to it. Um, I not because marketing doesn't add value, but because I don't think it's really the core thing. Marketing is a tool to share information about a product or service. It's not an end up to an end unto itself. And it's not, um, it isn't what I would consider a value, uh, add in that sense or a, uh, yeah. What I think is more appropriate is experience. So if you increase the experience of your customer, 
uh, and marketing is very much used to do that. And I, maybe that's, you know, kind of where that's coming from, but it's really about changing the experience of a customer. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go forward. So why is value, why is, uh, uh, a value, why is value added a principle of business? Well, it's fundamental in that you have to have something that's more important to your customer than the money they're going to give you for it. That's just a basic fact. Nobody's going to give you money for something they don't value more than the money, right? So it is almost by definition fundamental. And I do think it applies to all businesses and therefore is universal. I don't, I can't think of a business model where somebody is getting something uh, or, or offering a product that the customer doesn't value more than the money that they're trading for it. So it's that simple. Uh, and, and so what I wanted to talk about first is what kind of value is out there. Um, and, and I broke this down into a couple of categories. One is intrinsic value or what I would almost call commodity value. So something that is very commonly traded, you can put a price on pretty easily because, uh, let's take the example of, um, uh, you know, gas for your car or, um, normal, what I'll call normal food items. The prices don't change dramatically, uh, from location to location or vendor to vendor because they're commodities. And, uh, so generally a commodity is going to have lower margins and it's going to be more easily replaceable, uh, than a, with another product. Uh, some examples, especially that we're seeing now, um, you know, uh, the, uh, online grocery shopping. So if they don't have, uh, LaCroix bubble water, you might end up with, uh, some other brands bubble water and you might have some specific loyalty to one brand or another, but in general, they're very, very similar. And so they don't command a huge price difference. Um, and they're basically, unless you are very brand aware or very specific, um, they are easily replaceable. So, uh, another one is different brands, uh, different gasoline stations, Shell, Exxon, you know, whoever, um, the decision often for drivers comes down to convenience and location more than the specific brand of fuel that they're buying. Um, now we all have, uh, brands that we specifically like. I personally like Jif peanut butter. If I can't get it, uh, I won't die, but I would much rather have Jif than another brand. Um, they're not sponsoring this live stream by the way, but they should. Um, the, uh, uh, maybe brands of spice, you know, you might be partial to one brand of spice or something. Um, but one brand of cinnamon over another, when you're shopping online, because you can't go to the grocery store, if you don't get the brand you like, you're probably going to be fine. So these commodity products, these things that are in, have an intrinsic value that is easy, easily comparable to another product is one kind of value. It's that commodity level value. Um, and, and these are, like I said, gas, 
normal food items, off-brand clothes, screws, and traditional economy products. You know, just uh, if you buy a hammer off the shelf at a hardware store, it's probably going to be fit into that category. Um, and, and then there are luxury products which don't rely as much on, on competitive pricing and are not as common. And we'll talk a little bit about more about that, but you know, you have examples of high-end cars. Um, I'm sure if you're in, in the construction trade, there's probably a kind of hammer that's specifically better than another kind. Um, but there's, uh, these products, certainly premium clothing brands, uh, stuff like that, that, that fits into those categories of, um, people are willing to pay a higher price for them for some reason, because they're not as easily comparable and not as easily replaceable as some other products. So they have some additional value. And there's a, there's a pretty big scale between these two things, the, the commodity product and the luxury product. So there's a whole range of, of, you know, what we might call mid tier products, but it's really not a tier. It's a whole scale of how well did a company or product fit a specific niche or move itself along this, this line. Um, so there's a wide range be between the base commodity and the luxury, uh, Timex versus Rolex, uh, Ford Fiesta versus a Rolls, Rolls Royce and every single model of vehicle between the two, um, that you can think of, right. Um, and, and there are things that make these things different quality is, you know, some people would, would point to a higher end brand and say it's a higher quality. It may, and what that means to them may be different than what it might mean to you as a consumer. But, um, but is the quality consistent? Is there, um, are there functionality and features that differentiate them? Uh, is it more durable? Uh, a big one, and this is where we pull marketing back into the discussion and that's customer identification. How do we feel about ourselves when we use that product? Right? Um, how does the product support our self image? And so you, you can, uh, bring up your own examples, but some are Apple products. I I'm a big Apple product user. That's an example. Uh, they spend a lot of time marketing, um, to create a feeling around their own products. Uh, now of course I'm much more objective and I would never buy a product based on self image, but, um, you know, I have my own reasons for buying Apple products. Kidding. Um, sports cars, designer clothes, um, you know, uh, specific, uh, like whole foods grocery store where there's a, a lifestyle or a, a self image around that particular product. Um, the, uh, hybrid cars 10 years ago. Now that's a, a little bit different, but certainly 10 years ago, if you were driving a hybrid car, it said something about uh, your, your, uh, image of yourself. And, um, so then there's the customer experience. So the, the getting a coffee at a Seven Eleven is a different experience 
and getting coffee at a Starbucks. And Starbucks has spent a lot of money to make it that way, right? And, and we'll, I, I'll talk about that example a little bit later, but um, taking a train from New York to Los Angeles versus flying first class, it's going to be a different customer experience. Um, and so consequently, you pay a different amount to do it. So the further you remove your product or service from the closest commodity, the more value you're adding and the more you're differentiating yourselves from that commodity and making yourself less replaceable. So that's the key part of value uh, of adding value to your product is if you think about it, not so much in adding features or making it out of more expensive precious metals or something like that. It's how do you use your technology or your features or your, your marketing to separate your product from the nearest commodity. And so just to think about that a little bit, you have land and seeds and you create a field of wheat. The wheat is turned into flour by another company. Flour plus sugar plus water plus some other stuff makes a donut. And a donut in a theme park, all of these things have different value for the same volume, if you will. Um, and with obviously the donut in a theme park being the most expensive and highest valued thing. Well, you can sit in a theme park and grouse about the fact that your donut was $6. But the reality is that the reason that it's worth that, and it is, you might, we might say, well, it's not worth it, but if you paid for it, then it was worth it to you. And, uh, that's, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's okay to overpay over to overpay for a donut in a theme park because of the experience. Now, why are they able to do that? Because they have control of, of the food vendors in the theme park. It's, there's an experience around it and the location, the convenience of the food. If you don't want to pay $6 for that donut, you have to go out to the car and eat beef jerky or whatever in your, in your car or go to a restaurant and then go back and whatever. So the time that you take, the distance you have to travel, um, all factors in to why that donut is $6, right? So that's how the value changes from seeds on a field to a donut in a theme park. And you can think about those examples in your own life from, from pretty much from everything that you buy. There's, there's something that has been, that, that has differentiated it, even if only a little bit from something else. And that's the, in, in many cases, that's the marketing portion of, uh, of value added, but, um, but it also happens with features and function and, and, and uh, materials and quality. It's a consistency. So how do we, so we've talked a little bit about the, the ways that value is added. What value do we add and how do we know what, what that is? When I, when I went to put these notes together, I thought about a few different kinds of, of value that can be added to a product. One is location simply. So we go back to the, the theme park analogy, but that also goes back to, um, uh, if you're the only gas station in a mountain town, 
just having gas in the mountain town adds value to the gas itself. And you can charge more and you probably do have to charge more because it costs more for you to get your product because someone has to truck it up the mountain. But part of the value is that location. Um, grocery store could be the same thing. If you're selling groceries in a mountain town, it's going to be, you're going to be providing a, a geographic value as well as the value of bread and milk and cheese and whatever. So there's location, there's function. What does this thing do? What does my Apple computer do does, that a Windows computer doesn't do? Or what does my Apple not do that a Windows computer does? Now they don't crash as much as they used to, so it's hard to make that argument anymore, but, um, but it's function, you know? Uh, you can look at uh, a small economy car, uh, a Prius or a, a Festiva or whatever, uh, versus a one ton dually pickup, you know, there's completely different functions for those things and you can have lifestyle value, a gym, for example, a yoga studio, something like that. Um, and then you can have experience and I, and I want to talk about experience because it's something small businesses can do, um, in, in many ways without spending a tremendous amount of money that can differentiate them from big box stores and online retail. And that is changing the experience that a customer has or creating an experience for customers when they come into our stores or experience our products. Um, we can differentiate those things with thoughtful, intentional action versus spending a tremendous amount of money. So, um, and, and we'll go back to buying coffee in a coffee shop versus going to a convenience store. Um, the real genius of Starbucks, you know, people talk a lot about the fact that they brought the European coffee shop experience to the United States. And then of course, ironically, we exported it back out. Um, but the real genius to me from, from this perspective, at least is the fact that Starbucks was able to decommoditize coffee right? Coffee is ubiquitous. You don't have to pay $4 for a cup of coffee. And they were able to not only decommoditize it, but to create an experience that made it, uh, widely popular. So, um, that that's what I'm talking about when I talk about experience. Now we can't all open up uh, a specifically designed retail location, Although if you're a franchisee, that's, that's potentially an option as, as a business owner, but, um, but it's about the experience itself. It's not about the coffee. I mean, maybe you like Starbucks coffee, or if you're like me, you pretty much just like any coffee, but I go to Starbucks, but I also brew regular coffee in a coffee pot. I, I, you know, so to me, going to Starbucks is much more about experience than the specific, than a specific flavor or, or or uh, uh, type of drink. I drink black plain coffee. I don't, all of those exotic drinks that they sell at any coffee shop are pretty much wasted on me. Um, but I still have a different experience when I go to a coffee shop. And why is that? Uh, and, and that's part of uh, what we're talking about here. So uh, this, this applies to, 
to even to startups if you if you haven't even if you don't have a customer you can start to think about how do we know what our customer wants um, or, or what they're going to value in what we offer. Uh, and, and from a startup perspective, you have to sort of put a crystal ball together, look at how customers behave in similar situations in the marketplace. Um, and uh, you can now as a business owner, you can listen to what they say. Listen to conversations when people are in the store and you're not talking to them. What are they saying about the experience that they're having? Um, watch how they act. Um, obviously, we can ask them directly. You know, one of the things we can do is send out a survey, uh, ask them, what, why do they come to our store? What would they like to see? Um, service, surveys are interesting, though, because they tell you what customers think about themselves as much as they tell you what they think about your business. Um, it's really important, I think, to compare survey results to behavioral, uh, observed behavioral results, behavioral results. Uh, and then, and then, like I said, compare those two things. Another thing to look at when it comes to how, how customers behave when it comes to your particular offering, do they go out of their way to use your service or product versus something else? Do they make a difficult traffic turn to go to your shop? Or um, do, if you have specific hours you work and they have to wait three months to get an appointment, are they willing to do that? Um, so those are some of the things that, that some of the ways we can look at how we add value, location, function, lifestyle, experience. Um, and there are more. I'm not limiting it to those things. I'm just trying to keep our, keep us under our, um, where are we at now? 22 minutes. We're not doing too bad today. Um, but then there's, um, so, so there may be more, but then there's also, uh, how, how we can find out, how do we know what people value about our offering and, uh, you know, surveys, observing behavior, et cetera. So let's talk about how we can get practical with this. What do we do specifically so that we can understand the value we add and generate new value um, to always keep ahead, but especially in times that are uh, uh, where the market changes. You know, we've had a tremendous change in the ability to deliver products and services uh, between February of 2020 and today, which is uh, June 25th. And we don't know when that's necessarily going to stop. There are a lot of places trying to open up again. And consequently, there's a huge spike, at least in the United States, of incidents of coronavirus. So we don't know what that's going to look like or how long it's going to take to normalize um, or, or, you know, return to some semblance of the standard way of doing business that we always have. We have... Um, so we not only have a challenge here and this challenge is just one of many. I said in an episode a few months ago or a month ago, um, in my professional career, I've never gone more than eight years without an economic crisis of some kind. Um, so there's always going to be something that affects the way that we deliver products and services or the market and environment in which we deliver those products or services. And it's important to keep that in mind. 
And we always have to keep things like adding value. All of these business principles that we've been talking about, all of them are constantly under pressure. And that's why they have to be fundamentally part of the way we do business. Something we think about on a regular basis so that um, we're always improving them, shoring that foundation and, and building our business on uh, bedrock uh, of, of, of well thought out foundational processes. So what value do we add practical action that we can dig into? Um, I think the first thing to remember is it's not always what you think it is. It might not, the, the core value that you add might not be bread and milk in your grocery store. It might be location. It might be experience. Maybe you're really good at selling those things. Um, or you make people feel really good. Maybe you're whole foods and you, and people feel good about the food they buy from you. So it's the experience of feeling good more than specifically the food itself. Um, and those, uh, those things can go across any number of, of, uh, experiences. Um, so understand, is it location? Is it function? Is it lifestyle? Is it experience? Is there something else that I didn't mention? Um, you know, ask and observe. So make a, a concerted effort to identify and think about what you, what the, the value that you add that people are willing to pay for. How do you separate your product or service from the nearest commodity? Understanding that also ask, you know, you need to do some work on your own and say, what do I think? What was my intention when I started the business? And then finding out from customers, why do you shop here? Um, find out from people who don't shop where you are. You know, that could be equally valuable. That could be more valuable than asking the people who already are your customers. Ask people who aren't your customers. Why don't you shop at my store? Why don't you use my services? You might get very telling information. Now you might, they might not be interested in scuba diving or skiing, or they might not, maybe they don't like going to the dentist. You might do some work on that. That could be part of, um, that could be helpful actually, because you could explain the value of having regular checkups. Um, and so understanding your value, not only from your perspective, but in, from the customer's perspective, and you can use tools like survey monkey. I think there's, um, um, I think Google has a survey tool, uh, there, there are a lot of survey tools out there that you can use online. You can certainly put one together on a piece of paper. I, I do actually really like the digital tools because they, they collate the data very conveniently and create graphs and data that you can get not only a, a sense of the numbers, which are important, but also you can get that visual representation of what those numbers mean to you. So that's, that's the first thing I would, I would do. And then it's time to start looking at that information and saying, how can I leverage what I'm, I've done well? What do people come in for? How can I, I was going to say, take advantage. I'm not really sure that's not, that doesn't feel right. How can I leverage that experience for them so that they get even more of that? How can I make that even better for my customer? Um, you know, and then, uh, uh, you know, it might be something quick, like, uh, you know, there's a quick, easy one at the human being. If you go get coffee, they'll put a, a chocolate covered 
uh, espresso bean on your cup, you know, that might not seem earth shaking, but it's a, it's a change in the experience. It's not an accident that they do that. Right. So, so it could be a quick add on something like that or something completely different, but something quick, relatively easy and inexpensive to change the experience for your customer, change the value of the product for your customer, or you have to dig a little deeper and go into product development and say, we want to add a feature or service. We have this information. When I started the business, I wanted to do this. And actually we're not delivering this component of that with what we currently offer. Maybe I need to do an update on my service or my product, or maybe I got a survey and it said, you know, that your product is pretty cool, except it doesn't X. Well, can I add X is X now X might not be in your core competency. And you might say, you know what? We're a gas station. We don't serve ice cream. We're just not going to do it. That's, that's a business decision, but you might get data that lets you know that there's something that you can do or that you should do to add value to that experience for your customer. And then, um, you know, so it could be a product development thing. It, it could be adding features or services. It could be something like delivery right now during, uh, the pandemic. If you can't sell your product in its normal, uh, channel using your normal sales channels, can you use a, uh, a different sales channel? Can you add delivery? Now, I guess I do want to talk about something, uh, getting when you, when you start adding things during what you might consider a temporary change in the economy, I think it's important to be very careful about how much money you spend or how much time you spend, um, implementing something and, and with the expectation that it's going to go away. I think it's important to have a, what is going to happen when business goes back to normal or is it going to go back to normal? Um, you might find that adding delivery is a great thing that you can do for your business. You might also find that it adds more cost. You have to spend, you have to pay people to drive around town it adds insurance issues, whatever that make it, that prevent it from being a good long-term solution for your particular business. And it's important to be able to transition away from something that you're, that you consider adding value during this pandemic or during a temporary change in the economy. When you know it's going to go away, how are you going to transition away from that? How are you going to transition away from that particular value, um, without losing customers and without losing customer experience? So that's something I think is worth thinking about. All right. Um, uh, so overall adding value is that ability to, uh, separate your product offering from the nearest commodity. And in, in a larger sense, adding value is that, um, uh, creating something more, uh, you know, when the sum, is, the, the, with something, the value of a, of something is more than the sum of its parts, uh, that's the value creation process in a nutshell. And it's very important to us as business owners because we have to have something that someone's willing to trade us money for. Um, that's what I wanted to talk about this time. Uh, episode 46 next week, I think is cash management. So that's near and dear to everyone's heart as small business owners. 
Um, I'd like to thank you for spending time with me today. Our vision at Beyond 50% is successful entrepreneurship as the rule, not the exception. We develop actionable solutions and help business owners cultivate practical business knowledge so they can act with informed purpose to improve business operations and management and benefit from their entrepreneurial journey. Uh, visit our website at beyond50percent.com for more information. Contact us uh, to schedule a complimentary one-on-one -on -one meeting with a kindred spirit and see how we can help you, uh, like I said, benefit more from your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, we're live up into the right on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. If you found this video helpful, please subscribe to the Beyond 50% YouTube channel, share it, like it, do the thumbs up. Uh, if you feel like you have to do a thumbs down, please send me an email to tell me why. Um, I'm, I'm all about transparency. Please share it. Put even just put a, a comment if you don't like what we're doing here or you think there's something we can improve. Go ahead and, and put it in the comments or send me an email at go.beyond at b50p.com and let us know how we can improve. If you're into other social media channels, we're available on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So subscribe or follow or connect with any of those. Uh, it's all beyond 50% on all of those uh, platforms. Uh, thank you for watching. It's time for me to get back to work. <laughs>